All right, let's get this out of the way. Is anybody here have a dog in this race tonight? Or does most of us just not care? You, yeah? What do you got? Patriots? All right, so tell me why we should be rooting for the Patriots. Very good. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. Very good. Very good. He's from Boston. Oh, okay. Very good. Is anybody here a Rams a fan? Is anybody? No. Oh, evidently, Rory West. Rory West is a Rams fan, L.A. Rams. Oh, Cindy? Just because they're playing the Patriots. Enjoy your, your nachos uh, or whatever it is you like to eat during the game. Um, so, so um, family and communion and the table and radical inclusivity. That's what we're talking about today. Family drama. It was a part of the biblical tradition right from the start. After eating fruit... From the forbidden tree and being confronted by God, Adam's first move is to blame everybody but himself. It wasn't my fault, God. It was the woman that you gave me. Adam and Eve's children take it 20 steps further when Cain murders his brother Abel because God found favor in his brother's offering rather than his. I could tell you about Noah's family's indiscretion, but I don't want to ruin your lunch. Perhaps it's a bit comforting when we consider our own family difficulties so that it seems that this has been something that every human being after the fall has had to contend with. I thought at this point in the sermon it would be fun to quote some famous writer on the topic of so I googled quotes on family, and I didn't really find anything that worked. The results that I found ranged from the irrelevant, uh, yeah, irrelevantly sweet, like, you know, family is everything. Michael J. Fox said, you know, family isn't uh, everything, it's the only thing, you know. And that, that was like, for some reason, that was on like five or six pages. They wanted to, like, like of different, like, family inspirational quotes. People want to know what Michael J. Fox thought about it on the, on the issue of family. So it ran from the irrelevantly sweet to the irreverently cynical. Well, family life is tough. It's all shame. We, have to have, we all have to have one. So last week we began this series, Identify, by considering the call that God had for Abraham and his family. The most important thing that we saw last week in last week's text was that family was that this family was not called in order that they might have priority over everyone else on this earth in the eyes of God. No, they were blessed in order that they might be a blessing to others. Think about your own gifting for a moment. What is it that you do well? What is it that you have an abundance? How can you leverage the blessings that you've received from God by reflecting those blessings on to others for God's glory. 
The family that we read about in the book of Genesis was a family specifically tapped by God to be His people. They were the family that God was going to use to somehow save the world. Today, though, and frankly for the rest of this series, we're going to see that this family's talent for hurting each other, for causing harm to each other, was a serious hindrance on their call from God to bless others. They were so busy wrestling with each, the, the, the harm and the crap that each other were slinging at each other that they, they never lived out. They hadn't lived out that blessed to be a blessing call. Take those questions that I asked just a few seconds ago, you know, what is your gifting? What do you have in abundance? And now apply them to the other people in your life to whom you are closest. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's your brother or your sister. Or maybe it's just a collection of friends like the ones we have here at New Hope. We can be as, as liberal as you want to be with the term family, but ask yourself, would I consider myself an advocate for what those in my family have to offer to others? Would I consider myself a threat to the blessings that those in my families have to offer to others? Or if you're being honest, have you never really given it much thought? Back to Abraham for a moment. As we said last week, Abraham was called by God to be the father of a great nation of God's people. God promised Abraham and his descendants they were going to be of greater number than the sands of the desert and the stars of the sky. If you were a nomad living in the Middle East some 3,000 years ago, two things would have, you would have had in abundance were sand and stars. God uses that imagery to show Abraham that he's going to be the start of something amazing. There's just one problem. Abraham's old and he doesn't have any children. The only family he really had was his nephew, Lot, who ended up leaving him after a dispute arose between his servants and Abe's. It appeared that Abraham was a father without a nation. A father without a family. So, so Abraham's wife, Sarah, gets this idea. And she tells Abraham, hey, why don't you sleep with my female servant, Hagar? Sarah figures that if she can't have Abraham's child, um, maybe Hagar can. So Hagar doesn't seem to have much say in the matter, by the way, if you read the text. The text actually says that Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham as a wife. Thank you very much. Abe does as he's told, and as you've probably already figured out, this doesn't work out well for anyone. Hagar is filled with contempt on Sarah, and Sarah blames Abraham, who just responds by saying, hey, she's your maid. She's your problem. So, you can already see how this was a family poised to bless others. Hagar gives birth to the child Ishmael, but God tells Abraham that he intends on his covenant going through Sarah. God tells Abraham, well, I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Now, kids, should God ever tell you something like this? 
please don't do what Father Abraham did. What did Abraham do when God gave him this solemn promise? He falls on his face laughing. He said, what are you talking about, God? I'm 100 years old, and Sarah, she's, she's like 90. What about Ishmael? Have you thought about using him to save the world? God says, no. And wouldn't you know it, God knows what he's talking about. Sarah becomes pregnant and gives birth to Isaac. Finally, Abraham and Sarah have a son of their own, and Isaac grows up, and after his mother dies, his father sends one of his servants to find a wife for Isaac. The servant finds Rebekah from Abraham's home country and brings her back for Isaac. Now, before he dies, Abraham actually takes another wife named Keturah, who gives him another six sons. Abraham finally dies at the age of 175 The text says that he died in a good old age, an old man full of years and was gathered to his people. Isaac, bury their father in a cave along with Sarah, and now the torch is passed to a new generation. By Isaac, Rebekah conceives, and the story goes that while she was pregnant, the children struggled together within her. So evidently she was having twins. Distraught, Rebecca prays to God, asking him, what's going on? And, and this is how God responds. The Lord her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the old So here the story continues with a theme which had already been started with the call of Abraham. God is not restrained by human traditions of greatness. The custom of primogeniture is as ancient, uh, is ancient and in many customs it's sacredly held. The eldest child, specifically the eldest male child, was to have special privileges and authority in relation to his younger siblings. Now, I'm the eldest in my family, and all this really means is that I'm typically the one that has to take lead on organizing family get-togethers. Every year around Halloween, somebody calls and says, what are we doing for Thanksgiving? Actually, no. Every year around Halloween, I ask my brothers, maybe we mute this out from the podcast, I ask my brothers, what are we doing for Thanksgiving? I don't know, I don't know, we'll figure something out. And then the week before Thanksgiving, what are we doing? Like, you know, that's, that's my primogeniture. It may seem um, like a fine line with the children being twins, but the implication here is, in the text is that the, by the custom of the day, Esau would have been the first child and therefore the one to receive the first share of blessing. Of course, it's not lost on us that that Isaac himself wasn't the firstborn of Abraham. Repeatedly, our God has a way of placing those in positions of power and influence whom you wouldn't necessarily expect. Abraham was just a wandering nomad, and Isaac was the secondborn of his father. Moses, he was just a slave child. David was the youngest of his brothers, just a shepherd. Peter was a fisherman. And of course, Jesus was just this child born in a stable in the middle of nowhere. And it's not just innocent whom God uses. 
God uses people with serious character flaws. Twice, twice Abraham tried to pass off his wife as his sister because he thought that it would save his skin when the people who were in the area that he was in wanted to try to, you know, take uh, Sarah and essentially have their way with her. David had a man killed in battle so that he wouldn't have to own up to adultery. And of course, the Apostle Paul went from persecuting Christians to leading them. If the Bible teaches us anything, it's that God can bless people through the most unlikely means, even if it takes multiple generations or hundreds to thousands of years to unfold. I I love this about our God. He, He loves to take misfits and losers and outcasts and says, watch this. I mean, just look what he did to me. Rebecca gives birth to twins, but the two children couldn't have been more different from one another. The first child who comes out has red skin and he was covered with hair. They called him Esau or or Edom, a name that was similar to the Hebrew word for red. The second child came out immediately, though. In fact, he was holding on to the heel of Esau. So they, they named him Jacob, which is close to the Hebrew word for heel. But the importance of his name doesn't end there. It's believed that in the world of this text, uh, grasping someone's heel is a figure of speech implying deception. So as the boys grow up, Esau becomes a skilled hunter, an outdoorsman who, who just loves to hunt for his father. Uh, he's like Ted Nugent. Isaac loved him because he brought him all sorts of tasty things for dinner and made some really great venison jerky. Jacob, on the other hand, was more of a dwelling-in-the-tent sort of guy. He stayed close to home and to his mother. So Rebecca, his mother, adored Jacob. So we get two stories regarding Jacob and Esau, which at first glance may seem to our eyes to be kind of silly and inconsequential, but they are steeped in greater meaning and end up being referenced uh, later in the New Testament. The first is a shorter one, comes from Genesis 25. You can turn there if you'd like. Genesis 25, 29. Once. When Jacob was cooking stew, Esau comes in from the field, and he was exhausted. Esau said to Jacob, oh, let me eat some of that red stew you're making. I am exhausted. I'm beat. You know, therefore, he was called Edom. Jacob said, all right, sell me your birthright. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is birthright to me? Jacob said, well, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went about his way. Then Esau despised his birthright. First of all, what a peculiar little story regarding sibling rivalry to find so close to the beginning of all things and so close to the Abrahamic covenant of you are blessed to be a blessing 
We're only 25 chapters into the story of Genesis at this point, and major things are to be, to, are to be, are to be decided via little petty arguments like this. Where were Jacob and Esau's parents during this episode? Was, was Esau's birthright his to sell? These two make this bargain as if the two of them were the only parties involved. Was this a one-time event, or was this episode emblematic of the sort of relationship that these two brothers had? Obviously, Jacob's deceptiveness and unkind behavior is in view here, but Esau may not come out of this story clean either, remember. Was he being respectful with the topic of his birthright to treat it so casually? Did he think much of his place in the family? This is the the second time the color red has come into the story. What's the significance of that? And where? Where is God in all of this? What is Jacob and Esau's relationship to God? It's actually interesting. God's going to come back into the story later on in a really peculiar and kind of uh, awful way. We've already read the words of God that Rebecca received while the children wrestled within her womb and the elder brother would that the elder brother would serve the younger was God foreshadowing this sometimes the story gets interrupted sometimes this story gets interpreted by preachers who want to showcase the difference between material desire and spiritual need meaning that Esau sacrificed a spiritual sonship in order to satisfy some you know material need but but we got to be careful with that Because the concept of a birthright would have had quite a bit of material security as well. Prosperity, fertility, land. Both birthright, a birthright and the stew are both material commodities, but the stew satisfied only this perceived immediate need that could be controlled. It could be managed. While the birthright played the long game, and was largely dependent on the unknown, and frankly, largely dependent upon God, the one who was actually in control. It would appear that Jacob, even though he is clearly being a brat, is actually the one who's thinking about the future. While Esau, who at first glance just seems like the innocent party who just wants some darn stew for crying out loud, is actually the one who is indifferent to the family that he has been placed in. I think one of the most fascinating and perhaps comforting things that we can take out of this passage is that the will of God is still at play, even in spite of others' bratty behavior or indifference. The book of Genesis will end with a character who has, done, been, who has been done great harm, speaking to those who have hurt him, and saying, this, again, family, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive. Well, that's encouraging. It helps us to see that God has our back. Still, it would be irresponsible for us not to see that disputes regarding birthrights, were not what this particular family of all the families in the world should have had their focus on. And the thing is, things only get worse from here. (laughs) And frankly, they only get worse once their parents get involved. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau 
his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am. He said, uh, and Esau answered, Here I am. Uh, Isaac said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious and bring it to me so that I may that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau, so apparently she was like, you know, eavesdropping. When, so when Esau went to the field to hunt game to bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Hey, hey, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me some game and prepare for me some delicious, and, and prepare me delicious food that I might eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. So therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock. Bring me two young goats so that I may prepare them uh, for your father, so that I may prepare for your father just a delicious meal such as he loves. And, and you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob says to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, Mom, um, you know, Esau is a pretty hairy, like, big guy, and I'm, I, I'm a smooth man. Um, it's right there in the Bible. Um, Perhaps my father will feed me, and I shall see, uh, feel me, and I shall see, seem to be mocking him, and then he's going to bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. And his, mo- his mother said to him, well, 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 yeah, I got an idea. Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So he went and, and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared this delicious food such as his father loved. And then Rebekah took these the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were also in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and the smooth part of his neck. And she put this delicious food together and this bread, which she had prepared, and then she gave them to Jacob. And so Jacob went into his father. And he said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who, who are you, my son? Because remember, Isaac at this point, he was, he was going blind. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. That's my Esau impression. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your, son may bless, that, your may, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you found it so quickly, my son? He said, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Now God comes back into the picture. Like, what a fine time for God to now come back into play. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why did you... Why did, Why'd you make this so quickly? Man, this was so fast. You're doing good. Oh, it was God's blessing. Isaac said to Jacob, please come near, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So evidently, Isaac himself was like, something's up. So Jacob went near to the father who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he didn't recognize him because his hands um, were, were, were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him, and he said, Are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. And then he said, Bring it near to me, 
that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to them, near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac came to him and come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and he kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments. He thought of Esau, and he blessed him. He blessed the son that was before him that he thought was his elder. And he said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Now, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out of the presence of Isaac his father, who shows up? Esau who just came back from hunting, who had just prepared this delicious food, who has been so excited, I'm going to give my father this nice big meal, and then we're going to have this moment of blessing. And he brings it to his father, and his father says, he says says to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, what? Who are you? He answered, I am your son your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me, and I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him? Because he's going to be the one that receives the blessing. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Whoa, 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 bless me, even, even me also, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he's taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me two times. He took away my birthright, and now he's taken away my blessing. And then he said, oh, Have you not reserved any blessing for me, Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him Lord over you. Brothers have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I've. What then can I now do for you, my son? <laughs> Esau said to his father, Have you what but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O oh, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice. And Esau wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall be your dwelling, away from the dew of the heavens on high. By the sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now, Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, then I'm going to kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older Rebekah. So Rebekah says, hey, you got to get out of here because your brother's going to kill you. You know, go stay with, uh, with my brother Laban for a little while and uh, just wait for Esau to cool down because this isn't going to go away quickly. 
God said to Abram, you're blessed to be a blessing. I'm going to bless those that bless you. I'm going to curse those that curse you. That, that was the deal. That was the covenant. That was the thing that, that this family had been called to. I am so in love with you, God says, that I'm going to build into you and I'm going to bless you so that you become a blessing with, for others. And then what happens? Deceitfulness, conniving, petty, family disputes that only act as blocks, only acts to block the blessing to others. So we're going to have communion in a second. And I just, as we, as we prepare ourselves, as we prepare our hearts for communion, I just want us to be thinking about for a moment, what are the ways that we can be celebrating, advocating, um, encouraging, supporting those who are in closest to us to be a blessing to others? And what are the ways that we need to be honest with ourselves? We need to be honest with God. We need to confess to God and confess to, to each other, I've stood in the way of your blessing, my brother, my spouse, my sister, my, my, my mother, my, my, my father, whoever it is, can I come to that point where I can have confession and say, I've stood in the way of your blessing and I want to let you know that no longer is that going to be the case. Today, I want to celebrate the blessing that you can be to others. I want to name the blessings that have been in your life. I want to affirm those who are in my family. I want to love them. And I want to help you love other people. I think that one of the most powerful things about communion is that our Lord um, did this, this dinner, this table, this fellowship, even in the midst of there being somebody there who was about to betray him. Betray him for something as petty and as silly as money. We're going to close our time together with communion, the Mass, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. Our communion table at New Hope is open to all those who confess Jesus as Lord and Messiah, the Son of the living God. If you are not there, if you haven't yet made the decision to follow Christ, you need to know that we love you. You need to know that you are welcome here, and you need to know that we hope that you think of New Hope as a place where you can come not having to hide your doubts or your questions. When we take communion, you shouldn't feel obligated to participate. Feel free to just have a few moments of silence in your seat. I will add this, though. I say this every time we have communion these days, that communion is one of two sacraments that Jesus instituted. is a public declaration of your faith. So while we might say that communion sustains your faith, baptism proclaims your faith. So if you do decide to come forward for communion and you've not yet been baptized, that is okay, but I will ask you to consider coming to be later to discuss the possibility of making a public declaration of your faith soon through baptism. 
The bread is unleavened, and it is lovingly prepared by our own Alicia Poling. The red is wine, and the white is grape juice. And after coming forward, I'll ask everyone to take the elements back to your seat, where we will partake of them together. But first, let's stand and join as churches throughout the centuries have done in the reading of the Nicene Creed. 